introductory mindfulness retreat, you're likely to hear the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Seven Factors of Enlightenment, the Five Hindrances to a Clear Mind, uh, integrating practice, contemplative practice with everyday life, uh, and maybe a Paramitas talk. Because there's a fundamental list, the four this and the five that and the six this. There's a whole book, there's a canon of the numbered teachings. Uh, you know, the, the, what the Buddha taught in his uh, 60 years, well, of his enlightenment, maybe 50 years of, of teaching. Uh, he went from place to place and taught and it wasn't, it wasn't written down for 300 years later. It was written down, it showed up as a written uh, uh, canon uh, beginning 300 years later. And, it, and having made a change from the language that the Buddha spoke to Pali, which is the language of the early canon, earliest canon, it was written down in Sri Lanka and the Buddha was in India. So it makes a jump from one place to another and... Uh, from one language to another. And sometimes I think about the fact that if you play um, telephone at a kid's birthday party and you have 10 people sitting in a row and this one says cupcake to the first one, it comes out toothbrush from the 10th one. So I wonder uh, exactly. But I, you know, I, I take these stories as being guidelines to what the Buddha talked about and actually, there's, there's a great deal of current uh, scholarship happening, mostly in Britain, uh, by scholars who are uh, 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 fluent in, in Chinese, ancient Chinese, and Sanskrit, and Pali, looking at old texts. And uh, there's... Um, I'm looking for my... I didn't bring the book. Uh, there's, a, there's a, a very well-known book called What the Buddha Taught by uh, a, a fairly contemporary teacher that's a very straightforward Four Noble Truths Eightfold Path presentation of Buddha Dharma. Uh, there's now a book out called What the Buddha Thought, not What the Buddha Taught, <laughs> that is essays, uh, is a compendium of what these scholars are saying he really said about certain things. But the bottom line of what he said is that the mind uh, becomes habituated to certain ways of thinking. There are ways of thinking of being that lead to suffering. There are other ways that do not lead to suffering and that you can change the habits of the mind to, to, to habits of non-suffering, habits of happiness. And that pretty much is the bottom line for me in terms of making a difference. And so every week when I teach here, uh, it's not like teaching a retreat because the same people come week after week. It's more like being a pulpit minister where you need to have something new to talk about every week. And so it's new because it's in the news, but it's not new because it's in the lineage that you talk about. So what I thought about this morning is there were a few stories that I wanted to tell you that are contemporary things. And I thought, well, what do they fit into? What's the Buddha Dharma that they're relevant to? And I thought also about this new uh, uh, campaign to uh, engage the community in building this new part of our, actually it's not new, to rebuild this whole lower campus. And 
uh, oh, we were going to have a f uh, the video of it today. Did we actually arrange that, or did we just talk about it? <laughs> well, Walt said yes, but... Walt said yes. But what happened between the thought and the deed? Uh, Walt said yes. Uh, who wants to go? Ruth will go. Ruth Dudson, volunteer extraordinaire of everybody, <laughs> is going to check. If Walt comes, tell him to come and tell him maybe we'll start at 10 to 11. Maybe if people have to leave and we didn't finish talking, we'll start at 11. But tell him to be here at a quarter at 11 if he can. Okay, I'll talk fast. Because I said we were going to do it. Walt said yes, and then I forgot to follow up. Okay. <laughs> I almost said senior moment, but I've always done that, so I can't even get away with that. <laughs> okay, talk fast. Uh, so what I thought about in terms of uh, I, I, my, 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 one of the things that I think about, okay, backing up, one of the things I wanted to tell you is that last week, uh, Joko Beck died. Joko Beck was 91. Uh, I never met her. She's fairly famous for having written two Dharma books. She wrote Ordinary Zen and Nothing Special. Uh, she lived in San Diego. She was a student of Maizumi Roshi. Uh, she taught, I thought the exemplary thing about Joko Beck is that nobody ever saw her. I thought that was wonderful. She wrote two very uh, valuable books to numerous people who read, read them. So her name is well known in the Buddhist community. And uh, many of my friends and colleagues and myself included enjoy being out and telling the world and traveling around and who knows, you know, becoming known in the Buddhist community. And Joko didn't apparently do that. She stayed quietly at home and taught generations of Zen practitioners. And it seems to me lovely that, that, that who knows why she did it, you know, but, but it seems like a lovely thing to do, uh, make herself ordinary. And so maybe it's a good place to start with Joko, with a certain amount of uh, um, why I appreciated her and the things that I appreciated her about her the most. One is that there's a fair degree of humility that I'm reading into her being there and quietly teaching what she's teaching for generations and training generations of Zen teachers. <coughs> also, I liked her two books. I re-looked at them again this week, thinking about what I wanted to tell you from them. Uh, she was talking about the necessity, uh, which I agree with, of bringing Dharma and, and what the Buddha taught really into Western culture as if it belongs here. You know, she said, I'm a Zen teacher, and it's a very Zen thing when talking about just seeing things as they actually are, not making a bigger story out of them than they actually are. So it's a Zen expression to say, chop wood, carry water. Just do what's next. Don't make a big scene out of it. Uh, there, there are famous Zen stories, like a practitioner who practices for years and years and uh, goes to see his teacher to uh, tell how he's solved his koan or what level of insight he's achieved. And he comes to the teacher's house and leaves his shoes outside the door, of course. 
and his umbrella because it's raining. And he comes in and makes his bows. And he says, I've come to report. And the teacher says, what side of the door did you leave your umbrella on? And he doesn't know. So he says, go home and practice some more. <laughs> so that's a, that's a really, it's a, you know, you think to yourself, wait a minute. Because my, my own mind says, wait a minute. He was concentrating on his koan that he just spent 10 years figuring out. And he was so excited about telling the koan. So the umbrella was not the high thing on this list. It doesn't mean that da, 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 da. my mind objects to that. My mind often objects to Zen. But, <laughs> but they usually turn out to be, have some real wisdom in it. Maybe it's not about the umbrella. Maybe it's the Buddha said that you should be aware when you wake up in the morning, whether you wake up on an in-breath or an out-breath, and you should be aware when you fall asleep at night, whether you fall asleep on an in-breath or an out-breath, and mind says, what does it matter? What is it? But maybe it's a metaphor for you should pay attention all the day, and maybe the umbrella is also a metaphor. Just do what you want to do. My personal best, uh, so Ruth, Ah. I've left a message on his computer that I might suggest he can soon, but it's not up to July the 27th. That sounds like a great idea to me. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So that was a non-existent interchange between Walt and myself last week. Didn't happen. Uh, my own personal and enduring uh, best Zen story is from maybe 30 years ago when I had not so long before begun to practice in the mindfulness tradition, which you probably know is the earliest form of what the Buddha taught and presumed to be uh, what the Buddha himself taught. Uh, It comes out of the earliest uh, tradition of Buddhism, which is called Theravada, which translates as the teaching of the elders. Zen is a thousand years later. uh, And... uh, the result of uh, the, the, the teachings of the Buddha traveling uh, as it would vo- you know, by voice and story uh, all the way to Japan and making its way there over a, a millennium. I decided to call the Zen Center in San Francisco because I wanted to go on retreat and there was no retreat happening locally that I could go to to practice and I had a week off And I noticed that there was a week-long Zen sashin happening in San Francisco. And I thought, well, I'll go and sit on that sashin. Zen is not my practice, but they'll teach me. I'll learn about it. So I phoned the Zen center, and they said, "Uh, have you practiced before? I said, no, uh, but, you know, and et cetera, et cetera, that mindfulness and so and so and so many mindfulness retreats. (laughs) said, you have to speak with uh, Robert. You have to talk it over with Robert, the Zen, the retreat master. I said, okay. I leave my phone number for Robert uh, to call me back. Robert calls me back, but I'm not home. So I then call the Zen Center again. And again, I get somebody else, and Robert's not there. So I said to the person that I was talking to, you know, I phoned previously because I'd like to go sit that sashin. And then, uh, but I know I have to talk to Robert about it. And then Robert called me back, and I wasn't here. And now I'm calling Robert back, and he's not there. Maybe that means that I'm not supposed to sit this sashin. The person I was talking to said, I think it only means that Robert isn't here. <laughs> so that's, 
that's uh, <laughs> it's a funny story, isn't it? I like that better than the umbrella. It's extremely zen. It's extremely zen. Robert's not here. My <laughs> first of all, we do that all the time. We are storytelling animals, you know. I overheard some people on a plane a couple of years ago. I was on a, parked on a plane, parked in a plane on a tarmac waiting for an hour to take off out of uh, uh, a small airport in Newburgh, New York. And we didn't take off and we didn't take off and we didn't take off. And uh, the, uh, the pilot came on and uh, he explained that uh, there was terrible rain and hail had been happening all morning. And uh, it was not hailing at that point, not raining. But the pilot came on finally and he said, um, you know, we're not going because we're not sure because there's a band of thunder showers coming towards us and it's not raining now, but it might be raining and there's hail. So we're not, we don't know if we're going to go or not. Uh, so I, I, I'm thinking, well, that's a, 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 a meteorological uh, explanation for why we're not going. And uh, at, that, at that point, I'm just waiting to go. And the two people in the row in front of me uh, are talking about the fact that we're not going. And uh, they were talking about the fact that they'd had that the same, the thunderstorms had passed through, another band of them had passed through that morning. And one, there was a woman and a man, and the woman was saying, uh, yeah, there was tremendous hail where I was this morning just outside of Newburgh. And so they're strangers, and they're catching up. And she said, I was here for a week uh, closing up my mother's house. My mother was 90, and she died. And uh, I've been here for a week with my four sisters, figuring out what to do with all her stuff. And uh, they, so they had some conversation. I'm sorry, your mother died. She was 90. It was time, okay. And the sisters, and it all worked out okay with the sisters. And then she said, uh, she said, we figured out where everything should go. And then this morning at the end, there was nothing left but the owls. Said, uh, my mother collected owls, wood owls, ivory owls, little silver owls, porcelain owls. Who knows why she collected owls. And none of my sisters wanted the owls. And I didn't want the owls either. And finally, this morning, we were all finished, and I, and I decided, I said, okay, I'm calling up the Salvation Army, and I'm telling them to come and get the owls. And then the thunderstorm started, and I knew it was my mother being mad about the owls. So, you know, you can't, know, you know, we, we are storytelling animals, you know. It's my mother, you know, they, one minute before this, there's a band of high pressure and low pressure and this and that and the other causing the thunderstorms. Now it is this person's mother on the other side causing the thunderstorms because of the owls. But we are storytelling people. My friend Sharon Salzberg calls it add-ons. We add on to what's ever going on. It's storming because my mother is mad. It's storming because of, well, it's probably storming because of the high pressure and the low pressure, but maybe it's the owls. I mean, you really don't know. I mean, it's, all you really know, all you have to know is that it's storming. That's what you have to know. That's a, so, so I'm very grateful. For, if you read Joko, you'll find that she's very, very, that's the way it is. You just, she just see things without add-ons. Don't add a story to it. 
that's one of the things that I'm very, I, I like very much about it. The other thing she talked about, I, I a little bit mentioned in the instructions this morning when we were starting to sit, and I said, you know how, I don't know, I think it's called the screed, isn't it? That little thing that goes along under the screen, which is a... Crawl. It's a crawl, it's a crawl. That, that little line that goes under the television and tells you at this point, sometimes quite catastrophic thing, expl volcano explodes, thousands inundated, and meantime you're watching a football game and it's going by like this. Uh, uh, it's a lot of it's a lot of information going by. Normally, you don't look at it so much. You just it's there. You know, maybe something would catch your eye. Isn't that what happens actually when you sit? There a lot of stuff floats by. I should have remembered to call my friend so and so. Okay, I'll do it later. That don't disturb the peace necessarily. That really that mostly it goes by without disturbing the peace. When you drive a car, you see a million things. But they, you know, they're just there unless they do something out of line or get in your way. You just keep driving and you notice it. That the instruction for uh, uh, training the mind to composure, which is the word I was looking for before and, and, and couldn't quite think of. Composure, I think, is different from calm. Calm is composure with calm in it. Composure is... Uh, just a certain amount of equanimity in the mind so that you can figure out what to do. I think Zen trains you to do this. Um, I think that what we do trains the mind to do it. It's not that it trains it to do it as an end in itself, but the mind that's composed can make the next uh, wise decision. Okay, we're going to leave Joko a little bit because I want to, I want to go from this wise decision-making to some questions about um, morality. Do you remember last week, who was it that said, we talked about the thief who's coming in through a window, walking very, very quietly on their way to steal some jewelry box. And we talked about the person, what was the little one? The rock climber who's climbing a rock very, very carefully in order not to fall off the mountain. And the third one was the surgeon doing a quadruple bypass, and she's being very, very careful when she moves in order to successfully complete the bypass. And at first looking, they look like three different activities that require concentration and presence, but one of them looks immoral, the other one looks amoral, and the other one looks moral. And then somebody said, is that person still here? Who said it? Tell me your name again. Helena. Helena said, who knows about that thief, you know? Maybe that thief was stealing because her family or his family was out of food and or couldn't get, had no, huh? <laughs> I was just being obnoxious. No, you are being obnoxious. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's all right, Barbara. Don't feel bad. <laughs> now, you were reminding me that we are a group of friends at this point. You can say whatever you want. Everybody loves you. I didn't even have to say your name. They wouldn't have known who it was. I made a mistake. <laughs> 
So the question is that we, we make, we make uh, is it so, I think it's so, that we make decisions about morality that are uh, context-bound, culture-bound. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? I, I'm just going to put it out as a thing thing because I want to talk about it a little bit. And come back. Oh, no, I'll, I'll tell you why I want to talk about it and, and weave in Joko because otherwise it looks like I changed the subject. Joko, when she died, was 91. She was, pre I, I received, along with a lot of other people, I'm sure, the entire Buddhist teaching community, received an email that told about that Joko died, that uh, Joan Halifax was with her at the time of her death. Joan has done a great deal of work with uh, accompanying the dying. Uh, she's a Zen teacher and with a community in... Uh, New Mexico in um, Santa, Fe, Santa Fe, yeah, in Santa Fe. And she was with Joko when she died. Joko said uh, something that was quite wonderful, apparently. According, this is all according to the person who sent me the email and according to uh, Joan, who was with her, that uh, Joko had said with her last breath, this too is wondrous. So I love that. <laughs> this too is wondrous. That's amazing. I like that. Arnie wants to know. Well, you know, it I, it didn't replace my all-time favorite Zen parting remark. The Zen people make parting remarks. That's very good. We don't have that in our tradition. <laughs> That's a life work. One of my daughters, not the one that's here, asked me, what, what will you say, Mom? And I said, we don't have that tradition in... I said, what do you think I should say? I, it's, this is too silly. I'll, I won't go there. Uh, we're friends. Huh? We're friends. <laughs> she, she said, what are you going to say, Mom? I said, I haven't prepared. I'll have to work on it. I said, what do you think I should say? She said, you should say housework is a waste of time. So, uh, but... Uh, but actually, it's not a bad, if, you, if I want to turn it around to a Zen enigmatic koan, I could say, when you think about what you could do with your time, it maybe is, so who knows. But anyway, uh, my all-time favorite is um, the, the Zen teacher who died and said, thank you very much, I have no complaints. <laughs> and I am practicing saying that because I would not only like to die saying that, I would like to live saying that. And I have a ways to go on that, but I would, I would actually like that. Uh, anyway, Joko presumably said, this too is wondrous, which is very nice. She also said, according to Joan, according to the person who sent the email, that uh, as far as she could tell, wait, I'm going to read it as it came off the email that she was still dealing with some uh, emotional, psychological, social, and self-esteem issues, the same as she had when she was 16, but now she was behaving differently. Uh -huh. And then she said, and that that's the best you can hope for. I don't think so. So I hope that it's been lost in translation. I hope that Joan got it wrong. Um, I, I asked uh, six of my friends with whom I was meeting yesterday, all Dharma teachers, and I said, I don't want to say anything bad about Joko because I admire her. 
And I like that her dying moment was wondrous. But do you think that's all we can hope for? And they said, no, that's not all we can hope for. What we can hope for is to transform ourselves, is to become different. You know, in some ways, I'm not that all different from when I was, uh, when I was young. I recently went to my 55th college reunion. That's really something, 55th college reunion. And the people who will say, standing behind me, look at me, oh, that must be Sylvia, because I've just laughed. And I apparently have a, a laugh that's distinctive. Uh, so that somebody will turn around and say, well, Sylvia's here. So I have the same laugh as I did when I was 16 years old. But, um, and I have the same talk too much, tell too many stories. Uh, uh, whatever is the opposite of introvert, that's what I am. Uh, that was, and that probably will stay the same. But actually, I'm kinder, I'm more thoughtful, I'm less judgmental, I'm working on it, I'm less judgmental. What do you think you are at different? Do you, first of all, now this is where... First of all, do you think you have changed from practice? Who thinks? Okay. First of all, who would practice if they wouldn't change? I mean, I mean, who would come on retreat? It's ridiculous to go sit in the quietly in one place, you know, that for a week if nothing happens, you know. I used to think in the early days when I was struggling with my mind to sit on a hot summer day on a retreat and the planes would be flying overhead, westbound, all the Hawaii-bound flights. And I'm thinking, on this week of holiday, I could be in Hawaii sitting on the beach and I'm sitting here wherever it is. Here it's nice, at least, air-conditioned. I was sitting up in Angela Center where it was 105 degrees in the summer, and I think, what am I doing here? But we're doing something because it makes a difference. It makes the mind less habit, uh, less habitually mired in suffering, less judgmental, which leads to suffering. Actually, it doesn't lead to suffering. It is suffering. Judgmental is already suffering. It doesn't lead to... Uh, it's like the second noble truth is often explained as um, craving leads to suffering. Craving is suffering, already is suffering. So the mind says, ah, I can't stand this. That's suffering. I need to have it different. So I think we get changed. And not just from getting old. Not just from getting old. They say we get older, you get wiser. If you pay attention. If you don't, I don't think you do. I think you maybe struggle worse at the end. So I want to tell you one more thing, because this, this I also got over the news. Uh, and it has to do with what Helene said about you never know about morality. Some people who need medical care but can't afford it go to the emergency room. Others just hope they'll get better. James Richard Veroni robbed a bank. Earlier this month, Veroni, pictured above, a 59-year-old convenience store clerk walked into a Gaston, North Carolina bank and handed the cashier a note demanding $1 and medical attention. Then he waited calmly for the police to show up. He's now in jail and has an appointment with a doctor this week. <laughs> Veroni's problem started when he lost the job he had held for 17 years as a Coca-Cola delivery man 
And amid the democratic, the, uh, the economic downturn, he found new work driving a truck, but it didn't last. Eventually, he took a part-time position at the convenience store. But Veroni's body wasn't up to it. The bending and lifting made his back ache. He had problems with his left foot, making him limp. He, off he also suffered from carpal tunnel syndrome and arthritis. Then he noticed a protrusion on his chest. The pain was beyond the tolerance I could accept, Veroni told the, Gast the Gaston Gazette. I kind of hit a wall with everything. Veroni knew he needed help, and he didn't want to be a burden on his sister or brothers. He applied for food stamps, but they weren't enough either, so he hatched a plan. On June 9th, he woke up, showered, ironed his shirt, mailed a letter to the Gaston Gazette, listing the return address as the Gaston County Jail. <laughs> when you receive this, a bank robbery will have been committed by me, Veroni wrote in his letter. The robbery is being committed by me for one dollar. I am of sound mind, but not so much sound body. Then he hailed a cab to take him to the bank. Inside, he handed the teller his $1 robbery demand. I didn't have any fears, said Verone. I told the teller that I would sit over here and wait for the police. <laughs> the teller was so frightened that she had to be taken to the hospital just to be checked out. <laughs> Meanwhile, Veroni was taken to jail just as he'd planned. Because he only asked for $1, he was charged with larceny, not bank robbery. But he said that his punish if his punishment isn't severe enough, he plans to tell the judge he'll do it again. His $100,000 bond has been reduced to $2,000, but he says he doesn't plan to pay it. In jail, he skips dinner to avoid too much contact with the other inmates. He's already seen some nurses and is scheduled to see a doctor on Friday. He said he's hoping to receive foot and back surgery and to get the protrusion on his chest treated. Then he plans to spend a few years in jail before getting out in time to collect Social Security and move to the beach. Veroni also presented the view that if the United States had a health care system which offered people more government support, he wouldn't have to make the choice he did. If you don't have your health, you don't have anything, Veroni said. The Affordable Care Act, President Obama's health care overhaul, passed by Congress last year, was designed to make it easier for Americans like Veroni to get health insurance, but most of its provisions don't go into effect until 2014. As it is, Veroni says, he thinks he chose the best of a bunch of bad options. I picked jail. So, I wanted to tell that. that so, now I want to say, what do you think? Of, first of all, don't tell me what you think about it. Think about it with two other people for the next three minutes. Just take the two people next to you, one person next to you. Think about it with somebody. Yes. Oh, thanks. Tony asked me to bring you. Yeah, I, 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 I've got okay, a well, you, might, you might need a few more, but let me give you some. I, I, I'll give them to the people who weren't here last week. I gave everyone who was here last week one. Okay, great. Okay. Thank you. Okay, thanks. How nice to see you. How are you? How are you? Yeah. You're looking fun. Look at your new book and look at what I they had in the it. front. I got it from Shambhala, I reviewed it. 
And so I went and bought it. But look what it has there. I That's thought very weird. You want to sign it? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.